0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you may be in the world. Just one more week till we're back racing, not long to go. So just one more episode of us talking a bit of rubbish to fill the summer break. Uh, Speaking of, on the show today, finally, confirmation that Alex Rins will become a Honda rider, signing for LCR Honda on a two-year deal. Speaking of talent... Is MotoGP facing a bit of a crisis in the next few years with so many young and -and up-and-coming riders looking for a seat on the grid? Will many end up falling by the wayside Is there just not enough room? Plus, the mental toll this season in particular is taking on some of the riders and your questions answered. The recording date is Monday, the 25th of July. My name is Harry Benjamin. Joining me as always is Crash MotoGP editor Pete McLaren and former Grand Prix rider and British champion Keith Hughes. Ewan, Uh, allergens. Welcome back. Uh, let's start with the official news. We all saw it coming, really, but now officially confirmed, Keith, isn't it? Alex Rins has signed on the dotted line uh, to join LCR Honda. He'll be uh, replacing the outgoing Alex Marquez.
1: So, uh, deal done. The right move for all involved? Lucio Cecinello is a really, really good guy. Um, ex-rider, superb rider at the time. Um, maybe Alex Rins needs someone like him in his corner. Um, we're going to see personalities count in a team it's what's going to bring the best out of him uh, what's gonna he's obviously got massive talent rins, but he's made quite a lot of unforced errors you know in the past it's ruling those out it's, it's ironing those problems out and that all comes from north of the, north of the eyebrows um, and I think Lucio Lucio is a really good guy um, and I think they'll work well together so I think a good move for both.
2: It's Always a gamble, isn't it? Changing bikes, you never quite know, as Keith says. You know, the team is such a big part of it, you, it's easy to just look at the machinery, but you've got to bond with that team as well. But he's got no choice, he's got to move, isn't he? Suzuki's disappearing, he's got to go somewhere. And, uh, you know, I suppose if you're, if you're a MotoGP rider, apart from money, the things you'd look for in a contract, you'd want the latest bike, you'd want at least a two year deal, ideally, you'd want to be in a factory team. Well, he hasn't got that part, has he? But he's got the other two, and I think that probably is why he signed on the dotted line here. He did have other options but it seems like they weren't to have the latest bike and and that was the real clincher for him in moving to Honda and uh, you know we were talking about Dovi last week. You know is someone that perhaps wins can be inspired by, is someone who lost their factory seat, dropped down to satellite status with with Tech2 Yamaha at the time for one year and was able to do a good job of it and bounced back and had the best years of his career in a factory rider, another team, Ducati. So I think, you know, that example, also maybe Cal Crutchlow, you know, Cal won races at LCR, didn't he? You know, so that he's proven the team can win, you know, okay, the bike as it stands right now is obviously, they're in trouble, aren't they, Honda this year? But, you know, it's a proven package in terms of the team, the bike, they need to put everything together. And uh, yeah, you know, I think it, You know, of the options available, it makes sense to Rins and uh, it's going to be interesting to see, will he thrive in this different environment, you know, this almost simpler environment, get on it, ride it. He's not going to have all the factory engineers around him developing things in the way that he's, he's always had at Suzuki. He's, of course, only ever ridden for Suzuki as a factory rider since coming into MotoGP. So, yeah, I mean, the, it's the only announcement during the summer break that we've had. I think we were expecting a few more. I, I know Donna emailed the team saying, you know, at the start of the summer break, can you let us know when you're going to be announcing things so that we can sort of get the, the content teams on MotoGP.com up to speed and, and plan everything out so you don't announce together. We haven't had anything until Rins. This is the first one. I think that's probably just because the teams wanted a bit of a break, isn't it? Um, you know, we're expecting Juan Mir, his teammate, to be confirmed at Repsol Honda. Look at the World Championship standings. They're only two points apart, aren't they? You know, if you're only looking at this year, Rins has had two podiums. Mia hasn't. You know, that might be an interesting debate for people to have as to who would you put onto the factory Honda and who in LCR. But anyway, that's the way it is. And uh, Mia's obviously a world champion. So, you know, I guess that's the leg up there. But Rins is a triple race winner. So interesting to see what he can do. It, It will be, I think, make or break, really, you know, these next two years. So... Yeah, big move for Rins and uh, let's see what he can do come November. He'll be on that bike at the Valencia Test.
1: Big question is, has Nakagami underperformed? Is it the team? Now we're going to get an option next year, aren't we? We're going to see what's happening with Rins. Rins is going to either prove the rule or not. And that, for me, is going to be the interesting part of it. I think they'll flourish. I really do. I think he'll get on the bike and I think he'll get down to it. And you said right at the beginning of of your uh, conversation there, Pete, was that you know what choice did he have he had no choice you know that was that was his choice um, and i think we're going to see much more of that as the talent starts to drift on through from from all these other formulas that we've got we, we've got a logjam of talent and we've never had that before which is going to be difficult for rider market for for, for the management that are wandering around between the trucks you know how much i, I enjoy that every year particularly this long break that we've got because kimmy ring was uh, was excluded from the calendar you know we these guys are working with something at the moment. It's a diminishing market for them. It's a, it's a, you know, the, the rider market is one where, well, hang on a second, why do we need to pay all that money for, for this guy when we've got this guy that's looking pretty good at the moment and he's in the marketplace? So there's going to be a bit of an upheaval in the next year or two.
0: Well, you, you touch on the the logjam of talent uh, there, Keith. So it nicely brings us on to, to the, the next subject we want to talk about. And that is exactly that, you know, future talent. We're losing Suzuki potentially that's two less seats uh, in in the Premier class. What do you do with the likes of those... Front runners in Moto2, Ayagura, but also those youngsters who are on the grid at the moment, Darren Binder facing an uncertain future at the moment, Remy and Rao at Tech 3, Pedro Acosta, those who are flourishing in Moto3. There was a great article on Crash.net earlier in the week about, and those who watch and listen to this podcast will know, I'm a a bit of a fan of Ika Laquona, who lost his seat uh, on the grid last year, and is now doing very well in World Superbikes, but that's a MotoGP career done and dusted before he's twenty-two, and that's so young, isn't it? And you just think, well, there isn't time for him to come back, but because there's such a huge logjam, the graduation from Moto two to MotoGP this year looks like it will
1: be very, very minimal, if any. Well, Dorna have done a, what Dorna have done is they've made a success of, of all the formulas that the, the ladders that take us to MotoGP now. It's not a bad thing that we've got all that talent stacked up, but the problem you've got is, is commerce meets sport in that what choices do Dorna have? Now, they've got great product in World Superbike now and also, obviously, in MotoGP. You know, to to, to bring another uh, category of class into the, the fray, if you like, is going to make a problem for... It's not going to be commercially viable, I think, is where I'm going to. We've got the commerce as it is at the moment, World Superbikes, MotoGP works really well. Do you increase what you've got going on at each one of those? Do you give better value for the fans, for instance? I always think fans that turn up at the MotoGP, they get great value for money is that they're seeing the best bikes and the best guys on the best bikes. But back in the day, you would have a sidecar race. You would have a couple of national races, either side of that, booking it in it. So you had a real day out of, of racing. You don't get that now. You get the rookies perhaps, or you get Asia Town Cup or whatever it might be sometimes. That guest on these things, and it's great. And we now we've got Moto E, the World Cup, not a Grand Prix, but a World Cup of Moto E. You know, next year with the Ducati as well. There's a they've kind of expanded the grid, if you like, at a Moto GP race in that, that we've now got the, the you know the, the electric bikes that, that are, are giving a, a showcase for for riders um, to 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 play on the day. But it's going to be a really tricky one. You, you, there are going to riders that are going to drop out of it. They're going to end up having to stay in domestic championships. Yeah, you know, British superbikes. I don't know anybody watching it at the weekend, but I mean, it's just brilliant stuff. I mean, they're going so quick. Even old, star, old farts like me saying that. when you look at it and you think, God, those guys are on it. I mean, they really are throwing it at you. the times they're doing on on basically production bikes. Is incredible with no traction control or any of those. You know, rider aids like you got in world superbike and, and obviously in MotoGP. Um, there are going to be expanding classes like that. Maybe Moto America will start to be an area that that perhaps Dorna might get more involved with, with Wayne Rainey and and expand the Moto America franchise. So you've got somewhere else for some of these guys to slide off to the side when there isn't room in the top categories in MotoGP and World Supervisors, which again compounds the whole problem because if we've got a a vibrant uh, Moto America series you're going to be producing more good guys that are going to be a wannabe in MotoGP. So all the time you're, you, you know, raking the, the fire, um, you're bringing on good guys. There, there are a lot of... And the, as these series come up in stature, you know, we had Taz McKenzie who rode at the World Superbikes at Donington the other week. Now, you know, Everybody at the time thought that was a mistake because he's getting on a motorbike and a set of tires are completely different to the, the British superbike ones. You got traction control, you got different tires, you've got everything. And all he had was the normal practice that you get at that, and he's come off of injury and so on and so forth. And his his year hadn't really picked up for, for him yet in, in by his standards in, in British superbikes. But it gave him an opportunity and he showcased it and he's in the end he, he nailed it and got it right. Top ten finishes, and so it, it worked out very well for him. He comes back this weekend, last weekend, sorry, at Donny at Hatch, uh, and nailed it again. Two wins out of the three, um, and he's back on that kind of form. I mean, it's brilliant stuff. And when we get Motor America into that that scenario as well, and then maybe the Australians come back online again, and, and we, we get an Australian series that's producing top line riders. This doesn't answer any doesn't answer your question, Harry, because all it does is it makes it worse. In that there isn't the room. What it's going to do is going to turn over people quicker at the top. Rins would not have got a chance if the market is a little bit further down the road. I think that Rins might not have got a second chance. He might have dropped off like Ike Laquona, your mate that you keep telling us about. <laughs> Quite rightly, by the way. I don't disagree with you on that. I think Ike got a real shitty end of the stick, to be honest. You know, He got dropped out of there a bit too quick for his talent, which was a shame. Um, but I can see more of that happening. And...
0: You know, you talk about World Superbikes there, that's flourishing at the moment and, and Dawn are doing uh, uh, enjoying that, doing well. And Toprak, we've spoken about, you know, tr- is he going to get his MotoGP chance? He looks like he's set to earn more money staying in World Superbike as well. So that might suddenly become a little bit of a factor there.
1: Well, it is, isn't it? I mean, the Johnny Ray syndrome. I mean, Jonathan Ray, you know, in the end, you know, you become a family man, you become, you know, 25 years old. And, and to be honest, 25 years old, is beginning to get a little bit too old to start moving up through the ranks in in the Grand Prix series. So so Jonathan stayed where he did and he's had a fantastic career and earned his millions. Uh, and and to be honest, is is a lot more relaxed probably in World Superbike than he would be in MotoGP. I mean, it is cutthroat. You know, one of the subjects that we talked about earlier on mental health and the like and the way that 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 now stresses these riders in the way that it does. There are so many more elements to being successful now than there seemed to be in the past. I'm sure they were all there. Of course they were. You, you all had mental health issues and, and expectation issues back in the day, but it didn't seem to be quite as intense, quite as, in some cases, debilitating as it is now. I think that, that it's it's a tough game. It really, really is. And that's without the riding.
2: Um, just on the Kona thing, I mean, yeah you can see why he feels a bit sort of frustrated that he didn't get a bit longer but let's remember he he was one of these people that it was the knock-on from zarco leaving ktm that ended up with suddenly lacona being presented with this chance to get into MotoGP. and i think we've all said you know when you get a chance you've got to take it and he did take that chance and he you know he, and then just as he was starting to show that it, that you know he could make it in MotoGP, if you like he could sort of compete with the best it was too late, wasn't it? And suddenly, there's other people, as as Keith said, there's other people already in the queue in the form of Remy Gardner and Ralph Fernandez, and KTM just couldn't let them go. And, and so, what do you do? You can't keep everyone, and then losing Suzuki just adds to this situation, doesn't it? I think one Wait, thing you could say is should they, should there have been another satellite team moving up replacing Suzuki? You know, well, is you, it
1: a you, mistake you, to just say you've got to look back to the podcast that we did last time when somebody asked, you know, Remy is, is was quite Remy Gardner was quite vociferous about the fact that there should be some kind of not so much a union, but the the riders that get dropped out of it when they've put that amount of effort in should be compensated in some way or should have some escape road or should Dorna should have some kind of overarching scheme for looking after people that drop off the edge of things. I personally don't believe that's, that's the right way to go, but it's kind of one of them things where I do believe that, that, you know, contracts should be solid. I think that, you know, some of these contracts don't ever seem to be quite as two year as you might expect them to be. There's a, yeah there's always a get out of jail free card for for rider and for to be honest for team <clears throat> of course you you can you can have a contract but if it's a bad contract or if it's a bad deal or if was, or if you're not happy with where you are or they're not happy with you the contract's really quite yeah. worthless because your performance is a, it's a performance led sport if you're not performing because you're unhappy where you are you might as well get out of the contract or be let out of the contract if that's the situation but it is going to be a problem harry i think that, that there isn't going to be the room and the turnover might just get a little bit more frenetic as we move forward with the amount of talent that's coming through. If they can come through, I mean, I, I, my problem is people like Tara McKenzie, you know, isn't going to get a go. You know, he's going to be in British superbikes where he'll earn reasonable money, da, 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 da. But it's going to take some bloody manipulation and all his dad's guile and, and ruthless maneuverings to, to, to get him back in. I mean, he failed in Moto 2, you know, quite soundly for whatever reason that was. When he came across, he didn't get on with the bikes. They were, they were odd bikes back then. No power, but really stiff chassis, and and you know everything was done on the front end. Quite tricky, really, from what he'd been used to. Um, and I keep going back to the Jake Dixon example. I mean, he very nearly never got another year in that. He was very nearly out on his ear roll after the first year and look where we are now Jake is a potential race winner just about every time we go out he's always there or thereabouts Um, so he's a proper Grand Prix rider but he very nearly didn't get a second year at it cruel isn't it
2: and just on top rack of course he's probably one of the big talents that seems like everybody you know expects and wants to see in MotoGP we know that Keenan his manager has said only a factory team hasn't he and uh, he's of course saying world superbike for next year but actually not much is going to change for 2024 if you're only going to look at factory teams because the riders are on two-year deals really it's going to be the same situation as this year which is there'll be one Yamaha seat Morbidelli in this case Uh, for next year he's on the his contract expires then this year it was Quateraro. obviously as soon as Yamaha kept Quateraro, there was no place for uh, for top rack it seems like he can talk to a lot more teams for 2024 but again if he's looking at a factory team I mean they're two-year deals. So probably it's going to be Yamaha or nothing, I would think, at this stage, or certainly the hot favourite, if Top Rack is going to be in MotoGP for 2024.
1: If you've got good management, you make sure you leave a gap in that contract you got in World Superbikes. If a, a proper MotoGP deal comes up, then you've got um, that expansion room, that headroom to be able to move across if, if someone's injured or whatever it might be. Um, I, it, how much of a crying shame will it be if Top Rack doesn't go to MotoGP? It will. It's almost. It, it ought to be illegal you know the the, the the you know I just I just can't imagine not seeing top rack in motogp at some stage it will, we will, we will all feel cheated if he doesn't go across the motogp i will anyway i just think he's just i think he's got a great personality he's, he's, he, the, the the way he conducts himself on and off track is is brilliant and to to miss that talent in in the premier class would, would just seem to be so wrong in my view
0: yeah, well, I don't think there'll be a lot of people that uh, disagree with you on that. Um, you, you touched earlier on the the mental health aspect, of course. So we did talk about that a bit last year as well. I remember when the Maverick Vinales and Yamaha, and that was all taking place in the summer break too, and where his head was at. And it's a thing that people are talking about more and more across motorsports and more and more so in particular MotoGP even in um, I hate batting that Lacona drum but even he brought it up in in his uh article saying you know when he was told he was losing his seat he found out while he was riding around uh, during a qualifying or practice session I think it was wasn't it um on the big screens that him and Petrucci were out so there's that side of things and Alicia Spargrove has come out recently uh, as said, he was just super exhausted just before the summer break. He he needed the break so much because suddenly he's having to operate at this new level that he hasn't had to deal with previously. He hasn't been a championship challenger. And now suddenly he finds himself up there and he's finding it tough. And it's a very different type of challenge added to the physical challenge that MotoGP already is, Keith. I mean, this summer break in particular, how important is it for these riders to, to switch off can you switch off?
1: I think this summer break, we're, we're going to see a few you know, different riders when they come back at the end of the summer break. I think that, that this has been a long summer break, um, which is unusual. It wasn't supposed to be this long, but it is. Um, they will be physically fit. All those little niggling injuries that virtually all of them have by that time of the year will be pretty much healed up and sorted out. Um, so they're going to be coming back with a good frame of mind and expectation. Um, Mental health, I I mean, it's much broader than just the sport. You know, know, I I often wonder quite where we're at with this because I come from a a baby boomer generation, which is kind of stoic, get on with it, you know, work your way through every problem and all the rest of it. And it all seemed a much simpler life for me as a, a kid growing up, including racing too simple in some respects. I think that for me, I always thought that it was, it was even Grand Prix racing was like club racing back in the day. And I hated it sometimes because of its unprofessionalism. Obviously we've now gone to a very professional situation, but now we're in generation Z. Um, I've done a little bit of of research on these things because I have kids, I have youngsters as I keep on banging on every time we're on this podcast, you know, and I look at their generations and the, the mental pressures that they're under is completely different, It's completely different to, to what the, your generation, Harry, my generation are so far apart in, in the way that we, our outlook on things and the, the way that we're brought up. Um, it, it affects everything we do in life. You know, Generation Z, more mentally aware, there's no doubt about it, they're more susceptible to you know, loneliness and so on and so forth because we're, you know, they, they are the generation that basically were born with digital equipment and bloody, you know, online this and online that and dating online and so on and so forth. It's all theirs. The millennials before them, you know, they were at the, the forefront of the new wave of this kind of stuff, I suppose. So they grew up learning about it. Whereas the generation Z Mob, which is 90%, 99% of the people that are racing motorbikes now, have come up in a different generation, in a generation that is. The outlook is, is completely different. All the things that we, we, you know, tick boxes overall, what I would say is a tick box is normal to them. It's a tick box to me and I have to concentrate on it. But for them, diversity, all the kind of things that we we, we talk about as a it's kind of like a sideshow almost for some of us, but it's not for them. It's for the reality of things. And I think that that all interferes with their life, their outlook, their what the, the things that they're seeing, they're growing up with, affects how they go about their business as well um how does that affect them on track well i think massively i think that they're, they're, they're so aware of everything they're so in tune with everything at the moment um, i think that their capacity to think their way through all of this is almost too good you know it, it, back, back in the day you kind of most of that stuff you never even bothered about you know you didn't think about it. And i think a lot of riders you know older riders don't worry about that you talk about Alicia bargro Alicia bargro is is the oldest now out there You know, he's a millennial, effectively. And even he has that kind of Generation Z attitude to things. You know, you only see what he writes, what he says, and the way he thinks about stuff. I don't know where we're heading with this. What are we now? We're on the alpha generation, aren't we? 2010 onwards apparently is the the alpha generation. It's it's a... Well, I know. I I, I know. You know, that... that, Oh, God, would be what I would normally have said, Harry. So it's quite surprising to hear you say that. hmm. In that, these are these are important things that that are affecting our kids as they're growing through, and some of us oldies have got to kind of understand it a little bit. You know, in politics, you can go into politics. You know, we're getting further and further. Perhaps I hate the phrase left or right. It just annoys me because it, because really this this divide shouldn't be there. Really, in my own personal view, but the, the what is considered to be more socialist kind of thinking is where the youngsters are really pushing towards that side of things that more inclusive kind of you know looking after people looking after other people it's it's not quite again I hate the phrase to the right where it's all about making money and you know banging our way through and big business and all the rest of it and grabbing as much as you can get hold of these things are all blending now and it's from an old fella's point of view, it's quite interesting watching it happen. And it's happening around the paddock as well. And as we get into that situation where that log jam of, of new rider is coming through, um, we're going to see more and more of it. It's going to be a really exciting couple of years coming up with all this lot blending into uh, our sport.
0: One thing that I, I think, think is is quite common these days is athletes in general often you know you have your coaches, your physical coaches, but now a lot of them have mental coaches now, don't they to to talk them through when things a are long tough. Time. I'm They're- presuming that was completely unheard of when you were riding.
1: A mental coach is the asylum that you went to when you finally (laughs) lost it. Um, But but, I mean, yes, you're right. I mean, sports psychology has has been a major thing. Going back a a generation or or three, um, sports psychology, those that caught on, I'm trying to think, there was a fella called Tony Head. Now, a lot of people will have never heard of Tony Head. Tony Head was a guy that was racing 250, 350s, back in the early 80s. Um, and he was big into the psychology of the sport. And we all thought he was mad. But of course, now he's the norm. Of the way he was thinking through, he was ahead of his time. Tony Head. Um, i never even remember the name right up until just then. Um, a reasonable runner at national level, international level to some extent. But um, he was into that side of things back then, working it out, Um, before you go. uh, Philip McCallum. Now, Philip McCallum, even I used to think Philip McCallum was actually quite mad on a racetrack. But when you speak to him, you know, wonderful roads rider, TT, Northwest 200, you know, bloody quick, really, really quick. When you speak to him and realise the depth at which he'd thought it through and how he'd eliminated all of the situations that could affect his racing, a guy had got it worked out, but he kind of got it worked out on his own. That was his way of working through those situations to make him as fast as he could and as safe as he could. You know, we all thought he was mad, but he worked out what he thought was his limit well in advance of, of any races. I'm, I'm mega impressed with the likes of Philip McAllen. I really are. And there are people that have done that on their own over the years. But now sports psychology is a major thing. You know, it, it gets you through that difficult period of time.
2: You do wonder, don't you, in 20 years' time, will, will the MotoGP riders of the future look back and go, oh, those guys had it easy. You know, just all they had was sports psychologists and, you know, I mean, the pressures obviously change, don't they? But, I mean, you know, previously, it, the sports, there was a lot more fatalities, wasn't it? Motorsport was a lot more dangerous. You, mean you think, well, you know, that, that, that pressure, life or death pressure, has reduced. But these Can other you pressures that have now, gained,
1: Pete? Can you imagine that now if they were under that kind of pressure, if they were losing riders every other week, which was the case back in the day? you know it, the, the kind of pressure that would put you under the, the because you would feel the, the pain that your family was feeling, I think we're all, all all sports people are pretty selfish people. They are focused on what they do, and to go as well as they go, it's about blocking out stuff. But your family is the bit that interferes with you the most. I mean, you never want to hurt the, the people closest to you, but of course you do. And when you know you see again, you know, let's, let's talk Isle of Man. You know, five people were killed on the Isle of Man this year in 2022. That has affected a huge proportion of that paddock massively. There will be families that are you know well-known, famous rider families that are under pressure at this moment in time. And that will build until we get to May next year, um, when some will question whether it is worth their while going back. You know, I spoke to John McGuinness, obviously, after the TT. I spoke to Glenn Irwin after the TT. Um, and Glenn Irwin, I, I did it on, a, on another podcast, that, um, you know, it's, it's really interesting to see how he is handling that. And, and strangely enough, I was talking with him with his wife out of shot, and, um, pregnant wife out of shot, just to, to put even more emphasis on him, look his face and every now and again his eyes would dart across to see what her face was doing with what he was saying about what he wants to do next year. You know, these pressures are massive. they're You know, I think that Grand Prix probably doesn't quite have that same pressure purely because they're so bloody young. They don't have wives and, and children at that point, but they will have. You know, Alicia Spargo does. You know, he's got a situation that he's now got to be thinking about. Um, Managing all of this is a a massive task. It's not just about racing motorbikes, which is all it seemed to be about back in the day. Um, Now, there's so many other things. There's so many other pressures that are are pulling and pushing you all of the time. You know, down to the amount of work you have to do off track for sponsors and so on and so forth. It's another level. The, The amount of media that you now have to cover is much more intense as well. You know, dropping a ghoulie bloody saying something you shouldn't say in an interview somewhere that's then blasted all over the, you know, responding to, you know, we had the same the thing the other week with, with Peko, didn't we? Peko Ben you know, read our headline, me calling him an idiot for, for drink driving and and straight away was on the case. I mean, he deleted it almost as immediately as he wrote it, but the fact is that that fired him up and I felt actually, I felt really guilty about it because i contributed to his trauma of that time over the thing he was going through we never had any of that in the day you might have bumped into one person in the paddock who would say you're an idiot and you'd have gone yeah right off you go sonny and and had no other pressure but now with the amount of social media that's that gate crashes your life you know everybody can get to you wherever you are sat in your home sat in you know you've got to be disciplined to be able to wipe all that out you know take take a a social media holiday sometimes to to try and get the better of it. Otherwise, it gets the better of you. Certainly, uh, it, it's, a it's just the, the world right
0: now is just so technology advanced. It's fast paced. You know, I, I I use social media for for, for work purposes. So it almost feels like it's tough to come off of it. But I remember during lockdown and 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 COVID in the height of it, it, it sort of was it a blessing in disguise at one point, even though yes, there was no racing or anything happening, but I feel like it alleviated the pressure on life quite a lot for a lot of people where you didn't have to feel like you were catching up and making sure you were on top of everything like they have to do right now.
1: But what, but but what will happen, Harry is that our my children will develop a system for safeguarding Mm. themselves regarding that. It's like anything else you, you, when you grow up with it, they'll work out a strategy in their head, hopefully, to deal with it. There'll be there will be, a, there'll be many that don't, and there's, there's probably one or two people listening to this, and saying, yeah, that's all very well saying that, but what about those poor sods that, that don't actually uh, find that strategy, find that strength, find that resilience, whatever it takes to, to meander your way through the, the digital nightmare? Um, but they will, and there will be things like legislation. Our legislation will catch up with it or or, or you know you won't be able to insult people online just like you're not allowed to insult people in in person you know they're, they're, all of these things will eventually catch up I feel we're a bit behind when it comes to things like that I don't think that people should be able to insult you or 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 or, or you know what's the word I'm looking for they should they, they they shouldn't be able to say some of the things they say in public without some recourse you know you should be able to have some recourse against people that that are basically lying or cheating or saying saying something about you that isn't true, just like you would in virtually every other walk of life. Um, I think all that will catch up. And I think the kids, you know, Generation Z are the starting point for me with this because of and my kids, obviously. And and that they I, I see how sometimes they're damaged by a, a, a viral uh, commitment by some of the kids that catch up. I'm rambling and I'm going to get to the point. Peko Bagnoia, we'll use that as an example, shall we? He saw that headline that Crash put out where he was called an idiot without listening to the, the content of the context of the of the podcast at the time. He, In the end, he he obviously did listen to it. Um, probably still didn't agree with it, but could understand the context of it. I think the problem we have is that those headlines, people read those headlines, but don't necessarily actually read it in context. Don't actually listen to what's going on. Don't actually look at the text that goes with it that Pete quite you know, wonderfully bloody prints off so you can actually read it if you don't want to listen to it. Um, and I think that that is, is, we lose context with some of this stuff. And I think that's the bit that's damaging. And people jump on a bandwagon without actually looking at the context of it. You know, sometimes, you know, again, using this as a thing, Pekka Bangai you know, is an idiot. So uh, it's, it's said on the the one-line headline, which is, Okay, we'll call it clickbait. It's not. It's, it's to, to get your attention, to get you to listen to the podcast. That is the way of the world now. It's, you know, clickbait is probably being a bit unfair with it, but that's what it was. It's a line out of context encouraging you to come and have a little look at it. But some people don't bother with that. And then they jump on the bandwagon and, everyone, and then everybody's going, yeah, your is an idiot, your is an idiot, without actually having a, look, having a look or having a listen to the context, the reason why that word was used. And I think that's the problem that we have in social media in general. Just all of a sudden you start this bandwagon of, of, of moronic, bloody tribal, you know, want to get on the case of beating up whoever it is. And that starts at school for some kids. You know, you know the, the social media, Facebook side of things, somebody says, you know, you're a weirdo. And all of a sudden there's a whole classroom of kids that are on this one kid. Who probably hasn't done anything that wrong, but just suddenly there's a whole load of kids that are having a go at the the one, and they go home to their parents, you know, in tears, and 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 we have to deal with that side of things, you know, and and try and give them the tools and teach them the lessons that gives them the strength and the and the nouse, if you like, to meander through that bloody minefield. <laughs> I tell you what. I'm glad I have my time when I have my time because <laughs> social media is one in ones. I'd 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 find myself trying to find out who it was that was insulting me and looking for where they <laughs> live. <laughs> in, in fact, in fact, I could go back to Sky Sports when I worked at Sky Sports. Some bloke had a proper go at me on IndyCar when I was presenting IndyCar. I can't remember what it was now, and it got really. How really how did thirsty. he have a go at you? And what what brought...
0: platform was it on?
1: It, it, fax. Was, I think it was, I think it was. I don't think it was. No. <laughs> Carry a pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> that's not funny. There was nothing wrong with them pigeons. <laughs> <laughs> I had a good set of pigeons for sending my messages, <laughs> and I love and I love them oily faxes. You could, certainly couldn't wipe your bum with them fax paper. That's for sure. <laughs> But this one guy, he he crossed the line. I can't remember what medium it was on now. He crossed the line. And, and I, I did a bit of research to find out where he was. And the next time I communicated with him, I let him know that I knew where he lived. And he and just completely mm. turned. It didn't just shut him up. It got him apologizing. It got him to realize how much he'd affected me at that particular point. To the point where I was quite prepared to go around and nose to nose with him about it. And then he became a reasonable guy and explained his position or rest of it. And, we, and off we went. And it was all wonderful. What's that meme that's out there? I love memes. That one, that one where you've got the two dogs barking through the fence at each other. And then someone opens the oh. fence and they go. <laughs> and walk away. It's, that's
0: the thing, though. And it's still to this day, you know, people. Uh, social media people who have profiles but it's not their picture and and they feel like they can just get away with saying anything And, and twitter gives you access to directly at people who you don't know have no connection with yes they may be in the public domain and yes they've put themselves in that position so of course there's going to be uh things and responsibilities that come with that but either way i still don't believe that Any person should just be able to spout whatever they like just because they don't like somebody or like what they've said. Twitter and things like that doesn't allow for a proper discourse i think and that's what makes it uh, difficult i know they're trying to implement things that are helping it but it's too slow it's not working you talk about sharing articles and things like that and sometimes i see if i'm going to retweet or quote tweet an article um it says uh oh have you read this do you want to read it before sharing it or something like that which is which is great but you can just go "Oh, no, i'll just share it i don't really care but there isn't at the moment amongst social media
1: yeah well you come back you come back to what i you come back to what yeah. I said. It picks up a momentum mm. without actually context being there. And I think the other thing is, is I actually retweeted something that somebody said the other day because the headline tweet I agreed with, and then I started to undo the the thread of of this particular person. And yeah, I thought, yeah, oh, I don't agree with any of that. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, the the headline tweet which I retweeted because um, I thought that was you know correct, and then I looked at the, the the kind of timeline that went with it, and I thought, oh, bloody hell, no chance, Boink click and off you come again because it became radical and, and sort of not what i believed and i think that that vic wakeling rest in peace managing director of sky sports back in the day a grizzled old bloke that really knew television really well he he used to say we've got to get to something meaningful within 7 minutes he said otherwise we lose our audience and i think that, that and and that was back then i think where we are now is that the Quite often, if you've not got to where you need to get to within a couple of lines, you've lost the lost the person who's reading your your article, and it, it comes back to that clickbait thing, doesn't it? That one line is the thing that's going to pull in people to hopefully read or listen to the whole um, article.
0: Otherwise, you lose them. Well, well, we've taken about half an hour. No so patience. I don't know who kid we've got? Today. No
2: patience. <laughs> I think I think it's interesting what Keith was saying about this being sort of new, you know, a new technology that we're still discovering the rules for. I think that's you know maybe in the future a rider actually using his own social media will be seen as you know what are you doing? You know that it will just be you just don't do that. But because we're in this period where social media is relatively new still, that it is you know we're, we're in the kind of blurring thing, aren't we? Some riders do do it themselves others don't already they don't touch it but will we end up in a point where there are sort of clear rules on how to use it and if you're a professional sportsman or something you don't touch it you know you have people that do it for you as some MotoGP riders do now and that's it Um, and the other thing i've just mentioned is this age limit that's coming in you know on the whole mental health thing it'd be interesting to see how you know riders that are slightly more mature coming into the grand prix classes what difference that makes if any that'll be interesting i think
1: yeah, we're we're in. I, I love the the fact that we're in that transitional period at the moment as well. I mean, there's there's so many rivers flowing at one at once at the minute. It all comes back down to what you said at the beginning, Harry. I mean, we've got this talent blockage, and we've got all these other things that are interfering with that talent blockage. As it all sort of works its way through, we're, we're in very very exciting times. I mean, I think that that you know, I I don't think any of this stuff that we've talked about is a negative. I think we're working our way forward to a, to a better time from from my point of view. Maybe not politically, <laughs> but we probably shouldn't go there. <laughs> but it's—I um I think from a sports perspective, I think that we, we we are we are in for some very exciting years ahead. Every year gets a bit better for me.
0: Well, it's certainly a, a massive issue, isn't it? That it is requires a lot of complex thinking about it, but it's certainly something that uh, should be talked about. And uh, clearly, the riders uh, in gp in particular, are uh, hoping that this five-week break that we're in the midst of at the moment will certainly. Uh, leave them ready to go again in a week's time um we'll end with a few listener questions shall we still a few left over that we've got uh, to get through as we start to approach racing action once more um james lee 12 has asked you both which manufacturer do you think is most suited to the second half uh, of this season in terms of tracks
1: Mm. That's a smart question. I like that, James Lee. Well, you've got to say that we, we've we've come out the other side of this break with uh, reinvigorated riders and teams. Everyone was jaded as hell by the time we got to the end of the first half, if you like. And I think we I think that is going to have as much effect on things as motorcycle. You know, motorcycles aren't going to be able to develop that much during the summer break because there's just not that much they can do within the rules. So I think that what we're going to do is they will have had a lot of time to collect data. We're back in that digital stuff again. All the data that they've had to fight their way through in those early Grand Prixs. Now they've had time to disseminate everything that's, that's there. All the things that they thought they knew about stuff. They will have now worked their way through that and got a better handle on that, and, you know, they, they haven't had five weeks off. That's for sure. They will have been working really hard to try and get a jump over everyone else. Once we get back, starting at Silverstone. Um, but back to the back to the question. I'm not dodging the question. I'm I'm trying <laughs> to think it through while I'm blathering on. Um, you know, I think the Aprilia the Aprilia is going to look good at a lot of the race tracks that we're coming to. Um, I just think that that's a good all round motorbike at the moment. The Yamaha still works in Quateraro's hands. I just can't see anybody else, you know, picking up the pace on on that. Ducati have pro- perhaps got a bit more headroom um, to perform better than they have, perhaps more consistently. Suzuki, well, they're out of it coming the end of the year. We'll, we'll we'll see if they're the whether that slowly deflates as we get towards the end of the season. But I think Aprilia is is is, is looking very very good. And where the headroom comes there is whether Maverick. Can get to the standard that we know he's capable of on a consistent basis. I think that's where that's where the room for improvement in Aprilia comes from. Um, and once they get that momentum, if you've got two top riders pushing forwards, um, Aprilia probably have you know the biggest room for improvement on a motorbike that's that's massively improved this year. So I'm going to say Aprilia.
2: It's a good question. Well done, it is. Yes. Um Yeah, I, I'd agree with Keith on Aprilia. I mean, if you look at it, Ducati have been on the podium at every race, but they've got eight bikes, haven't they? So, you know, Aprilia are not far behind with only two. So I think, yeah, I'd go with the Aprilia in terms of the factory team. Um, if you're just looking at a bike that's going to be on the podium every week, Ducati is probably the one. I think looking a little bit further forward, I think this second half of the year, we've got these, these next four races in Europe, and then we go to the flyaways this big unknown that we haven't been to since 2019. And I think that's where the championship is going to be basically decided. I think we've got four tracks, haven't we? Uh, Meteggi, Burry Rum, Sepang, Phillip Island, completely unique venues. We haven't been to them, as I say, for several years there's the threat of you could have a torrential downpour easily. There could be tyre you know, issues, meaning performance issues. One team gets it right, another one. I think that's where the championship is going to be basically decided. If you're leading, I think you'd want at least 35 points of advantage going into those four races. With 100 points available to be confident because you, you could easily have one bad race lose 25 points. So, yeah, I mean, we've got four more races in Europe before we do those flyaways. But I think, you know, the teams, it's going to be what we've seen so far. The, you know, the Prius are going to be up there. Banyaya is now coming on form. I'm not expecting any shocks. But I think when we go to those flyaways, I think we will see some big surprises, not least the weather. Um, so, yeah, I think, uh, you know, In terms of a manufacturer, yes, you can look at what's been so far this season. But yeah, there's this big unknown coming up that we haven't been to since 2019 when they didn't even have the same rear tire. It's got me very excited
0: actually now for the second half of the season. Thank you for that great question, James. Um, Ricardo has asked um, Miguel Oliveira, Tech 3 or RNF? Which one? Yeah,
1: there's a question, isn't it, eh? Um, Well, Tech three have not performed this year really. I mean that's it's it's going to be the gel between the, the two riders and the and the team as well. I don't quite know what's gone on there. RNF, you know, is a smaller team than it was before, um, and Yamaha got their problems elsewhere. RNF got their problems elsewhere perhaps as well. So it's it's going to be one of those situations where it's the devil in the deep blue sea for Miguel. <laughs> I don't know
2: i think it comes back a bit for me it comes back a bit to the rins thing which is once you leave a factory team what's the chances of them rehiring you into that factory team so for me i'd say go to aprilia because he's got a better chance of getting a seat at the aprilia factory team in future than he has of getting back into the ktm team i think i i, I mean i can't okay rossi left the factory yamaha team went to ducati and came back but i mean that was a unique situation wasn't it with with rossi if you like I can't think of anyone else that's done that. Once you leave the factory team, you need to try and make a new path at another manufacturer. But as Keith says, not an easy decision. You know, there's going to be a year old bike at RNF, and um, and it's a year old bike with less engine changes than this year, isn't it? So does that mean they're going to have to lop some some revs off the top, 500, maybe even a thousand? I have you know, no idea. But to make the engines last longer, they'll only have seven engines. This year they can use nine and they can change the design. So it'll be a 22 bike. But will it have a bit less power as well? And then, as Keith mentioned, the team's different. They've got all this experience with Yamaha. They're now going to have to learn the Aprilia. So uh, it, it's not an easy one. But I think, in terms of a career path, he has got you know a chance to then, if he can go well on that bike, end up at the, the factory team at Aprilia, a better chance than getting back into the factory KTM. Team.
1: And just to add to that, of course, you've got the situation where you know we don't know what Aprilia's. You know, production line is like for bits and pieces and the like. They've been a bit slack in the past where things have been have not quite happened at the pace that perhaps the riders and the actual race team want them to do. The factory haven't been able to put together the amount of bits and pieces early enough, um, upgrades and the like that they want. So suddenly you're you're producing for you know two teams, you know four riders, uh, you know, or new rider, I should say. And what he might want, it's going to be it's going to be a tall order, one way or another. And I and I kind of worry about you know RNF. You, you can't quite get to the bottom of the funding as well. I mean, I, I hope that the funding is there to make sure that that works. There's been a massive change there. You know, Raslan Rosali is is, is <laughs> what's the RNF stand for? <laughs> Raslan needs funds. <laughs> Somebody quite cruelly said uh, early on. I, I I mean, it's just there are just those kind of question marks that we're only going to know about when we get into the season next year. Um, Will Miguel, you know, KTM, I mean, KTM, they've had some, you know, it's not gone their way. They've got a lot of work to do this winter to satisfy the people that they've got for next year. It's going to be interesting to see what they manage to do as well. It's. It's not an easy choice for Miguel, that's for sure. Maybe it will come down to money in the end. always does, usually, doesn't
0: it? Uh, Well, we'll leave it there now. Thank you for your questions. Always good to get them on the board. Uh, And that does us uh, for our final one for the summer break, because next week we're back into preview mode. And it's the British Grand Prix. It's Silverstone. We're all going to be there. Let us know if you're there as well in the comments below. Uh, and in the meantime, make sure you're tuned in across crash.net for all the latest news and analysis across the week. And as I just said, we'll be back next week to preview things all British Grand Prix. Get your questions in, leave them in the comments section, tweet Instagram or Facebook us. Just search Crash Moto GP. Uh, leave us a review as well wherever you get your podcasts. And we shall see you right back here next week. Bye bye.
1: Imagine.
2: Right at home.
1: Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to health care. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com.